Welcome to episode 11 of Feather and Mountain Podcast. I'm your host, Delusions of Grendel, veteran reader, first time watcher. With me, as always, is my good buddy Virgil. Virg, how you doing? Got something to watch, something to talk about even more now. We're buzzing. Let's go. Fuck. Yeah. So, we recorded last weekend. The audio was fucking terrible. Um, so the episode wasn't published, but what we did is we went over the second trailer. We uh, went over some of the teaser clips, including Nynaeve in the pool with the Trolloc, Nynaeve and Egwene, ran Matt Perrin, um, you know, just those little love sesh. Um, and I got uh, our good buddy Virgil here to make a prediction as to who he thinks the dragon is, which seems to be the question of season one of The Wheel of Time. Um, so Verge, if you want to fill us in before we jump into episode one, leave taking, catch us up with your impressions of the trailer. And of course, who you think the dragon reborn is. It, yeah. I mean, it's tough to do this now that I've seen it. So the trailer, um, itself already had sucked in what we missed from the last episode that we didn't get recorded. We all talked about how it left so much open, but somehow also had you hooked at the same time, which is probably the best ways that a trailer can do. It kind of leaves you asking questions, but not too many that you're just confused by what's going on. Um, and then as for um, my prediction, even after watching my prediction, it's the exact same. So uh, I'm, I'm happy with that. But it's split between two. It's still um, Naive and Egwene are the two that I chose. Naive and Oh, no, sorry. No, no, not Naive. Um, sorry. Um, Egwene and uh, Rand are the two that I choose. Sorry. So yeah, they were still, and the reason that I chose them off of the trailer was because I felt that they had the most character growth capability to them. Now, having seen the show, I kind of regret that a little bit, but I think choosing someone that has the farthest growth makes would be a best choice for a dragon in a show, is I guess where I'm going with that. Maybe two of the, I don't want to say the weaker people, but two people that show more emotion. And uh, showcase that side, I think, makes uh, it for better growth for a show. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, with, without further ado, let's kind of get into this because we're sitting, uh, we're recording on a Saturday night. Wheel of Time has now been out for 48 hours. It's crazy. I know. The old Game of Thrones Sunday vibes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was wild. Just uh, the Thursday night. Uh, so we're, we live in the Blight, a.k.a. Canada. And there were rumors that it was going to drop at 12 a.m. GMT London time. You know, for those who may not be familiar. We had suspicions of this. So I actually jumped on a live stream at uh, four o'clock hour time with Jenny, who is a, a guest on one of our our episodes. So we jumped on before the show and we kind of ended it and said, it might be starting in two minutes. It might not. Yeah. We don't know. And yeah, then we all kind of went and sat in front of our Prime app and refreshed and it dropped at five o'clock p.m. on Thursday night. I mean, the wheel weaves as the wheel wills and it was fucking great. Um, and then of course there was a four, five hour dusty wheel stream, four and a half started at, um, 10 30 Eastern ended at 3 AM Eastern (laughs) and went through all the episodes. 
Um, so yeah, fandom was ready. Fandom was excited. You, Verge, have seen nothing of the fandom reaction. That's correct? I, not a thing. No, nothing. So I'm interested to hear your reaction as a spokesperson of the fandom. Honestly, after dealing with the dribble that is the fandom the past 48 hours, I don't think I can be a, a representative of all of the emotions that are going on. I guess some people haven't followed the show as closely as myself and a lot of other content creators out there because a lot of the changes that were in the show that aren't in the books that I'm not really going to go to into in this in this podcast because it's not about what veteran readers think. I don't have a clue either. No. <laughs> um, but a lot of the changes that occur in the show were kind of speculated or at least hypothesized by content creators for the past two years. And a lot of the rumors and the leaks were kind of known. But I don't know if like the worldwide fandom was as uh, intensely aware. So there's been a lot of there's been a lot of negative voices. Um, and it's quite fucking exhausting. So I'm really excited to do this episode tonight and like hear from someone who doesn't know all of the ins and outs of the books and who is just taking in this show genuinely as, as a fresh observer. And I'm hopeful that our listeners are keen to hear that too, because it's, I think some much needed positivity that we need to inject this fandom with. So leave taking episode one, it opens with a clip that we had seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot from the first yeah bit that you see. Yeah. Uh, so it opens with Moraine putting her badass suspenders on, her fingerless gloves, talking about the power, talking about the dragon, talking about how the man had been born again. But we just don't know if it's a girl or a boy. Mm-hmm. But we know that it was a man 3,000 years ago. Um, And then from there... After we get Maureen and Lan walking out being all badass, we get a new scene. And this is what I'm super keen to hear your thoughts on. Because we get the scene of, I believe there's five red Aja sisters on horses chasing down what we think is two men. And then we find out is one. Yeah, that was wild. Yeah. So your initial impression of that scene when she screams, I said stop! And the stones collapse. And he's on the ground and he's bloody. Go. Yeah, it's it's a typical, not typical, but it's a really well played scene in a movie that you don't know who the bad guy is. You like there's a never reader and is not knowing. You know, I understand the ice side is going to be like you know at least I understand that, but I understand there's also a dark side to that, and that's the piece leading into it. It's just, you just see two guys running away. You don't know if these guys rob something. You don't know if these guys are bad, and then they just look so run down and so terrible. And when they're talking to each other, you just feel terrible for them. And then when she says. Who you, there's no one you're talking to, you realize he's just gone insane. And uh, the power is just, that's what it's done to him. Yeah, that, that was amazing. But the one thing that, from that scene, and it grows so much more in the show, is the understanding of the rules. is so complexly loose, if you will. It's just such a weird gray area. It's like, you can't use it to harm someone, yet rips down half a mountain. You know, and I know we're going to touch on the stuff later in the show. And then I think we're going to touch on how she touches on that later in the show for the rules. But immediately, having known that a little bit, it's kind of like, okay, well, they're using this pretty heavily. They're using this already. And it just goes to show that you you see how strong one the the, 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 like, fe- like the females are in this immediately and how the man is just, 
it cannot handle this power whatsoever. And it was it was crazy scene. I love the way it's set up and how it fades out to Marine Land. Just kind of like, like, all right, obviously it's not him. He didn't do so well. <laughs> move on. Right? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So you did pick up on the fact that um, he could use the power and that he had gone mad from the use of it because, you know, she says to him, like, who are you talking uh, to? There's no one else here. The madness already has him. I didn't pick up on that until the Marine, like, until they were like, obviously it's not him. Like, okay, that's what it was. It was the power. Because, you know, you're getting into a show that's sci-fi. You have no idea. There could be 50 different levels of things. If it could be a hallucinogen, it could be anything, right? The minute they said that, it was kind of like, okay, yeah. This is this is an example of what the power is. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm so happy that you picked up on that. And like her, what I thought was really interesting was when, um, you know, she's talking to him and she goes, this power, it's meant for women and women alone. And when you touch it, you make it filthy. Mm-hmm. I like that line. I fuck. I fucking loved it. I don't know if it like how it resonated with you. It was just so such an interesting way to open the show and to really, I think, kind of set the tone for what what it is to be a man who can touch this power. I think I think it's amazing. It's a total different, like, it's a 100% shift for me compared to any other show that you've seen that it's always the other way, right? Like, a woman that's practicing something that men usually do is so foreign in most shows. And I, 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 I felt... Not because of a man, not because of gender, but I felt almost bad for the guy in a bit, right? Like, you know, like when the guy's like, just go on without me, but it's really, it's himself. He's gone mentally insane. And just how she just belittles him that you don't know the backstory. You don't know if this guy's just murdered 15 people with using the power or anything like that. You don't know if he's just honestly crazy and just trying to run away, but it just showcases how this is ours. Don't touch this. You don't deserve this. You are beneath me. And it's just kind of like an angry side to it right off the hop. It was pretty cool. Yeah, very different. Very good. In a very positive way. Ah, I love your perspective on that. And like, because it's something I wasn't expecting to see right away. And yeah, really quick. And such an interesting transition from Moraine to this and then back to Moraine and land. And we find out that, um, you know, they're standing above and they're watching and they're like, well, wasn't him, as you mentioned. And then Land's comment is like, well, he was born 20 years ago. As if that's the only, the only way. Criteria, right? That's it. I mean, he was born 20 years ago. Oh. Really? That was the criteria. <laughs> and then, you know, Lan asks Maureen, where next? And uh, Maureen says, the two rivers. There's rumors of four Taviran there. Anything about that? Like, we uh, haven't really touched on Taviran or what's going on there. I but like. The yeah. They sing about well, the episode two when they sing about yeah. Menetherin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the old blood. But there's so much reference to old blood. And the the segue of Moraine and Land. So there's rumors of Fortaviran. Okay, whatever the fuck that is. And then the old blood runs strong there. And I love the shot that we get next, which is just, it looked to me like old skyscrapers. Mm-hmm. Are they skyscrapers? Like, are they from yeah. our yeah, world? Or like... Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's... Uh... Like the cinematography is really good. Every all the all the colors are so strong, like nonstop, which is like an absolute one hundred percent one eighty of Game of Thrones and The Witcher for me because it's all darkness and all. Don't get me wrong, there's dark spots, but they focus on colors so so much more. I know you've had dropped enough Easter eggs at this point in time that I know that there's something that plays into that that I'll figure out down the road. The color and the 
it's so it's again it's, it's what we've talked about with the posters right it's just that little pop of color and the dark contrast that we were seeing and i just love the way the sky looks yeah and um the green of like the skyscrapers and just like everything yeah it was it was so cinematic and so gorgeous and a shot that we hadn't had and i I loved it. Like I wish, uh, well, there are stills like on the Amazon Prime app that you can go through and like look at some of those gorgeous photographs, but I don't know. Maybe I'll have to get some, uh, some artwork when all this is done. And then from there, we get to see a little bit of the two rivers and we get to see Egwene and all of the women. Short lived years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we get to, um, so we're going to the two rivers. There's old blood. Then we go down um, to the two rivers and there's all of these women walking. And then we see Nynaeve and Egwene who's getting her hair braided. And Nynaeve is explaining the significance of the braid to Egwene in the two rivers. And so she's basically saying, this braid will remind you that you're a part of us, we're a part of you. It's basically like this braid is your link to the two rivers. Mm. And I don't know if that was heavy handed enough for anyone who's a first time viewer. Like a lot of significance placed on this braid. Was there anything that stood out to you from the initiation ceremony where she gets her hair braided and then is shoved into the river? I think... Like there was a lot of if you if you know go back in time, there's been a lot of like especially with indigenous cultures and stuff like that. There's been a lot of different stuff related to uh, growing your hair at a certain length, having your hair grow longer. I mean, you look to uh, Game of Thrones; the longer your knot is, means you've never been defeated in battle, right? So there's been different times that you've seen a hair relation to it. But from how excited you were talking about the hair flip previously and like these kind of Easter egg things. I feel like there's a lot more to it. And it touches on it a little bit more in the other episodes, a little bit more. And then you see the other braids that are around and you see how people have multiple braids. And you're like, okay, this there's significance to this. But as, if I would have not had done this podcast, I would have thought literally nothing of it. It would have been like, you know, hey, you've graduated. Here's your white sash that you're going <laughs> to put over top, right? Like that's, I, I, so yeah, I'll be interested to see how it unfolds a little bit more. Because I see one braid, you see multiple braids, and you see them with multiple people throughout first episode alone yeah. so obviously there's a lot more to it but i would not have looked for that had we not discussed this before yeah and then of course i'm assuming after that with all of the women because of this braiding ceremony you kind of notice that literally every woman in the two rivers has her hair yeah. braided um and different styles and you know you know, personality shining through and all of that stuff one thing i thought was interesting um that we saw in the show that we didn't get in the trailers all we had seen before was when Nynaeve pushed Egwene off um she says be strong and then like shoves her but this time we got a third line to that which is like yeah like trust the river and then she yeets her off the cliff and then we see Egwene struggling in the river until she eventually just kind of surrenders to the to the river itself and it guides her down and it's calm but like pretty dramatic identical to me drunk on a water slide (laughs) so but um yeah no very dramatic and then it's all about you know, it's initiation, right? That's the first thing you get. It's a very interesting initiation of like, you know, you're becoming a woman, you're becoming a man, whatever that style initiation or, but it's also you're becoming a member at the same time. So yeah, it's, really weird. it's all about yourself. It's kind of cool. Yeah. That's not how it would go in a river, but that's <laughs> totally not. But. but again, just, just that 
that little metaphor, like just embracing, embracing the torrent, letting it run through you, accepting it, and then all is calm, at least on the surface. And you can, you can enjoy your trip down the river and it's a calm flow once you embrace the fact that the river is that powerful. And from Egwene climbing out, because we get to see her <laughs> safely out of the river, uh, we turn to Sweta with Rand and Tam on the quarry road, walking down from their little hut with the sheeps, hanging out, going down together. We uh, learn a little bit about Tam making some brandy, and that uh, if Rand's mom, who's sadly no longer with us, if there'd been a little bit too much consumption of the brandy, they might stay down in town for the evening instead of making their way up that um, rocky old path. Uh, so they're they're going down. It's, it's a cute moment. We get to see Rand in this weather draw an arrow. Uh, we hear that the wolves are coming down a little bit more. And we hear that when Rand was a young lad, he used to pick berries for Egwene. And... When he brings the berries. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like Tam a lot in that. And he is very typecasted as a bad guy in so many shows. Like in the King Arthur, um, the Guy Ritchie film, he's kind of a good bad guy or whatever, but he just plays that good mean side. It was, I, I really like him as an actor in a lot of films. So it was really nice to see him get to kind of have a gentler side uh, with a role, which is kind of rare, I think, for a guy like that because he can look so mean. Michael Micklehatton, just, uh, just being all paternal and stuff. So then... This is actually one of my favorite scenes from the show after that. So we get down off the quarry road and then we are in the wine spring inn and we get to see Matt with Dice losing terribly. Perrin and Rand and just kind of like their back and forth kind of banter, Um, which is more than like all we saw in the trailer was just kind of like the smirk from Matt. So wine spring inn, it's going to go from night to day and then it's going to hit a clip that we saw before. But what were your thoughts on kind of the ambiance, like Egwene walking in, getting a standing O, and just like going to drink with the ladies, Nynaeve swigging a beer back. Um, anything kind of stand out to you from the wine spring clip? Or what were your thoughts watching that with, with all the humans? Actually, it, was, it wasn't it was even, like, because you already were introduced to Nynaeve and Egwene at that point. It was Perrin and Matt to me. Perrin was a lot more loving. Than his character gives like would have given off previously in any of the clips like he looks so strong and so like he doesn't speak in a lot of clips we've seen he looks so composed but he's kind of more of just a big teddy bear big lovable guy and Matt was a lot more jovial than I thought I thought straight bitter and I mean as we'll get into like you get a really early showcasing of his life but he's so happy even losing he was happy <laughs> and it's just that I didn't see that I saw him like as more of a a weasel character more angry more bitter and stuff like that and obviously there's time for that right off the hop he just he knows his luck is just for lack of a better word been shit (laughs) and even in playing dice right it doesn't bug him so it's kind of cool that's probably what i noticed the most a lot of women as well like tons of women in the bar and they really run the roost and that that's really really cool to see yeah yeah there was a big focus on on the women and i didn't even like really pick up on that like i don't think we saw a bunch of like, there were men drinking yeah, as every, well. Every man in that scene mentions a woman that he almost reports to. Matt talks about his sisters immediately. Um, Perrin talks about his wife. And Rand's talking about his love of his life. 
and then you have literally everyone in town comes in he's talking about the women in there like how they where's your mother to like everything is focused on them running the social setting them running the whole situation like it's it's very and that's if you think about it actually and i don't want to get into this as early but it's a total twist you know usually it's where's your father where's your father you know like and then this it's all about where's your mother where's she where's she where's she which is kind of cool interesting and then i guess you know when maureen walks in too it's yeah but then it's it's also only really the women that she speaks to right like she comes in it's Nynaeve who approaches them it's Nynaeve who says name no yourself stranger no, no one gets up with a sword lots of big guys in that room she's the only one that comes over with a little with a knife yeah right? and everyone lets her do that it's like she's the scary one in that room she's the powerful one in that room which is very I mean Land is all slightly powerful he's okay killer boots great boots and then Maureen walks to the fire, talks to Marin Alvere, and Marin is the one who calls her Maureen Sedai. And no man speaks until Maureen is going up the stairs with Lan. And then Rand, like Perrin starts to speak and Rand silences him. He's like, you don't know what they can hear. Like maybe she's going down to join the Warren Gildan, which we'd heard about um, earlier, kind of when they were sitting around the table. Uh, so they don't really know what she's doing there. Uh, her and Lan head up to their bedroom where they she'd asked for two beds, one room. And then Nynaeve comes up to uh, Randon Rand and Perrin and asks Perrin, where's Layla? So again, going back to your point, like, where is your wife? And Perrin says, she's at the forge. And then we get to see, like, Lady Blacksmith <laughs> smithing away. I'll be a briefly. Briefly. Very briefly. So he goes, so Perrin goes to the inn. Did this was so, I thought it was really obvious. I'm going to ask you what, so Perrin goes behind Layla, puts his hand very obviously on her stomach and says, I love you. And she kind of pulls like, you know, the Han Solo and Leia Organa bullshit and is like, I know, and kind of leans back into him and the camera like, Wah, 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 focuses in on his hand on her belly. Speculation. Was she with child? Did she lose child? What's going something, on? Something, obviously. Yeah, it's big. And it's just, it doesn't even need to be a thing, but it's just once again, she's wearing the pants and that, right? Huge dude. And uh, obviously looks like he's got quite a bit of power behind it. And it's kind of like, what can I do for you? How do we make you happy? You know I love you. Stuff like that. And uh, But yeah, obviously that motherhood, is what you think about immediately when you touch it. That's, that's, I've gotten in trouble multiple times from my wife. <laughs> but my, don't put your hand on my stomach. <laughs> it's not a thing. Like we're not having a baby, right? Like so. But I mean, yeah. I guess I wouldn't want them to put her hand on mine either. So, but uh, yeah, no, it, that's pretty obvious. Kind of pretty sad, pretty quickly. But yeah, pretty obvious. Yeah, there's uh, there's definitely something going on there, and I, I kind of like that they haven't gone into what it is. They've just let it rest with the audience. And even like, you know, we can talk about episodes two and three, but like, we still don't know. It just sits and percolates. So then we transition from Perrin, hand on belly, to Matt Cawthon. And we see him finding his mom, who is drunk as a skunk. And he goes, where's dad? And then literally behind her, his dad is like philandering with someone. So... It's a very quick and very real taste of what his home life is. 
His mom calls him a prick. Um, he takes her out of that situation, brings her back home, puts her, you know, kind of to bed and tells his sister. That is a loose term. Like, that is... was like a blanket, blanket on the on floor. The floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he asks his sisters. Come sleep with him. Yeah, to basically say. So, it, there's a lot that I wasn't sure about what was happening. Does he have his own place? Are they just sleeping on the floor near him? <laughs> like, what's going on? And, um... You know, just my heart breaks for his sisters because literally, like, mom and dad aren't there to take care of them. Like, who was looking after them before Matt got home? Well, for me, it's that you get two glimpses of parenting really early on. Like, you can talk about the parenting in the tavern, but that really wasn't parenting, right? Like, they were, you know, the mom uh, and even her mom beside each other doesn't really count, right? Or Gwen, sorry, her mom beside. But you look at what, like, Rand and that is, like, him and his dad down there, that is the best parenting you can get, right? And you look at the clothing was what really got me and how Rand is put together. He can't have clearer skin. He's literally a clear cell commercial. Um, his clothing, he's wearing white, but light, white or light colored clothing. He's not a speck of dirt. He has the nicest coat of everyone like that. And you switch right over to Matt and you meet his parents immediately. And I mean, your first thing that I noticed from Matt is how grungy he is comparatively to everyone else. You know, like he's dirty, he's greasy, he's got mud on his face or soot on his face, right? And then you meet the parents right after that. The living conditions, you know, you've just seen a glimpse into what, you know, Rand was. And it's kind of like, it's a pretty good situation. They got a little place up there and everything like that. And then you got whatever the hell shanty that they're in with Matt's family, right? So it, it's a really good showcasing. And I mean, it's cool because really, really early on, for me as a character build, you see that Rand has a lot to understand about himself, although coming from a really good situation, whereas Matt has already got an amazing heart and does things that people don't know about. You know, taking care of the two sisters is just and the mom is just imminent, right? I was expecting a little bit more between him and his dad. It's surprising, but uh, yeah, no, just kind of imminent um, effects of parenting there. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely, um, I think even though it was a very short clip, like, you just got so much impact. Well, you fell for him immediately. Like, you just immediately fall for him. And then you have just before that, or just after, before the gambling piece? Is that coming up? Um, like, we... Or they give him the money. Oh, like, the next day. Yeah. yeah, when they pass, like, the three coppers across. Yeah. Like, it just showcases that when he's a degenerate to himself, but a degenerate around this. His whole life is a degenerate nature, right? And it's just, yeah, it's... You immediately feel for him just like that, which is really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then from Matt, we go back to the inn and we get Rand and Egwene having a little Cinderella moment where they have to do the dishes. He pulls out the berry. She starts to tell him about a conversation her and Nynaeve have. And then he kisses her and it is a great kiss. Great chemistry between the two of them. Very and then they fuck. And then Rand's refractory period requires him to take a little nap. Yes. But we kind of leave them on the counter, like, with Rand going, you know, between her legs. So we don't actually see the fucking, but yeah. what one can presume. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. And then we get, so Rand and Egwene, smoochy smoochy, some great chemistry. Love it. We go upstairs and we get Land butt. Land butt. From the clouds, right? Like just... Yeah. So what did you think of Moraine and Lan in the bath together? 
Well, once again, if I hadn't known that, like, because we talked about like how that love is that like they have a love, but it's not just it's a platonic love in a way that it's such a weird thing. To th- it's a weird thing to think about, right? Because if you think about platonic love, you mainly like one of the biggest ones would be like a brother sister, right? Like that's the biggest thing. So you, you're never gonna want to see that person naked. Like their comfortability that they have with this platonic love is just otherworldly, and like you can you could be a little warmer, right? And then they're just totally relaxed. They're with each other. They're talking business and everything like that. Like this is just this is how it is, and it's it's really cool, really refreshing. Like you don't. You don't feel like, I mean, we, when we get into the other episodes and stuff, you don't feel the, there's no sexual tension. And to act that, that way is so tough. I couldn't fathom that, you know, like to get into a bathtub and it's just nothing. There's no sexual tension. This is, it's not on the table. This isn't an option. We're not going to feel this. That's really, really cool. Really refreshing, if you will. Also be really nice to have someone that can just heat your bathtub up like that. Yeah, I love that because like we have Lan who's so stoic, who never says anything, who like walks in and says, I'm Madman Dragon. This is Moraine. And like he's so stoic and then all of a sudden he's like, Well, it could be warmer. Yeah. Like and, and he, and he chokes I mean the big thing too that I love about this, they're both rockets. They're both beautiful looking human beings, right? Like a lot of these times where you have this, you have the big brute looking after the pretty woman, or you know, the the woman is insanely like physical and aggressive and somehow people are not attracted to that and then you have the pretty guy or whatever that situation is but you just have two people that are both in great shape that are both beautiful human beings and it's uh, yeah it's, it's it's funny when you get to see them converse it happened earlier a little bit too but his opinion has a lot of value it's not like he's just the ward it's not like he's just the bodyguard right like it's kind of like Two heads are thinking better than one here. Yeah, and then from there, so we go from downstairs, we go upstairs, we go back downstairs, and we get the scene that we, uh, or at least a clip of Egwene and Rand that we'd seen before, right? Uh, and I, we talked about this on the podcast, and you had guessed it was post-coitus and confirmed. Um, so Rand walks in, and that's when we find out that Egwene had asked, or uh, Nynaeve had asked Egwene, to consider being a a wisdom because she thinks that she can listen to the wind and Rand kind of puts that in layman's terms for the viewer, which means Nynaeve asked Egwene if she wants to be a career woman and basically give up husband and kids. Okay. I I feel what you're coming from that, but I I was just going to, before you even said that, one thing I was going to say, why is every power you have to give up love? Like, it's like every single show that you're in, it's like, Oh, if you're powerful, you're just on your own. This is just how it is, right? Which is funny because like every king and queen has always been a king. We had a king or a queen with them, right? But I don't think it's the career thing. It's kind of like this power is your love. And it's just, it's always that way. It's kind of, I guess, I don't know, maybe it just makes better storytelling is for what it is. But yeah, obviously he's chapped. He's been in love with her picking berries for years. Can't blame this guy at all. And then at the same time, is it selfish? Is it not selfish? You know, like what, what does she, because at this point in time as a never reader for me, what does she gain by going down that other road? And I don't know. And it doesn't tell you, it tells you that she's going to be powerful. It tells you that she's going to, you know, like, or sorry, it hints towards power. It hints towards things that she wouldn't be able to attain in a normal life. The other life is love, kids and family and stuff like that. So it's like, can't help but feel selfish, non-selfish, right? Because I think, your comment is a career, you know, wants to be a career woman. It's like, wants to be a career woman on her own, right? <laughs> like, it'd be one thing if they were both going to do this together. But 
you got to feel for him and you got to feel for her. But it just showcases how much of a commitment it is and also how you give up so much pretty early on. Yeah, it was... I just really thought that that was a scene that was done so well for two 20-year-olds who, I mean, we for... Totally Definitely that mature. But I mean, like you kind of think about, you know, end of high school relationships where you're going off to university or college (laughs) and kind of having like, I, I, I wasn't in a relationship at the end of high school, but, uh, the people who did have the conversation about going off to separate schools and being like, well, you're going this way. I'm going this way. We should break up versus the ones who tried to like cling on to their relationship and eventually ended in like a burning (laughs) pile of, hot garbage or the old turkey dump as we call it up here where everyone would break up at thanksgiving which occurs in october like six weeks after university started yeah turkey dump it was interesting like i really liked how that resonated um in in our world just kind of having that conversation about like oh you have different plans for your life than maybe we had fully talked about like i just saw my life with you and Hadn't really thought about anything different. Thought we were in love. Thought we were here. And that's tale as old as time. Right? Um, and then so the next morning, it's uh, Beltine is the festival. Think first we see... So Rand, Rand is kind of sleeping. Or sorry. Rand is sitting on rocks by himself. Perrin is snoozing beside his wife, Layla, who is awake and looking at him. But Perrin's blissfully asleep. And then Matt walks up to the peddler who comes into town, Padden Fane. And he tries to barter a bracelet that the camera very obviously <laughs> made clear belonged to Danya, is, um, is the character's name. So he, he stole the bracelet from Danya and was trying to get, like, three marks. And Padden Fane instead just gives him three lanterns. So we see a little bit of, like, the shitty side of Matt. And then Maureen and Lan are like, well... Well, yes and no, because we do see, like, where he gives the lanterns to, which... Yeah. So, yeah. Was he, he was asking for money first, obviously for his sisters, then gets lanterns instead. Um, and we know he's... We know his intention behind it, but still interesting that, still like... Yeah. yeah, that he thinks, you know, that he's entitled to take something from someone else to provide. It's just... Totally. It's it's very deep layering, I think, of, of a character... And then we get Maureen and Lan, and they're like, I think one of the eyeless is kicking around. Let's get to work. We got business to do today. And then we go back to Rand on the rocks. Egwene joins him. And they just, I thought they really had, a, and again, a nice moment. Kind of a, a really mature, and I wasn't really expecting this, but a very mature and understanding conversation from Rand where he didn't ask her to justify he didn't ask her to explain herself. He just, they just sat and had a cuddle. And like, Egwene was, was pretty distraught and crying a little bit. Because I think, I think Rand knows what decision she's going to make before she does. But yeah, I don't know. Any, any kind of thoughts on the, just like that initial intro to all of them doing their early morning bell tying activities? No, not really. I think it just speaks to what's important to each of them that's what it is right you got two lovers that are together sorry two sets right of different lovers that's what's important and poor old matt just trying to make ends meet in a very very 
terrible way. So I think it just really showcases where their lives are at. You know, like parents got it pretty figured out. Would be a very safe way to put that, right? And um, yeah, I, it's everyday life for them is very different. Yet they're all in the same situation together. And then we get a scene um, that again we had seen uh, or had been released, and that's the clip between Moraine and Nynaeve. So Maureen walks into this cave where Nynaeve is scrubbing. She's cleaning up a mess. We've seen the trailer, so we know that that's the same pool that Egwene comes out of in the trailer, right? When she has all the colors on her face, but we haven't seen that yet in the show. And we haven't seen the ceremony, but we've seen now the after effects. And they have this conversation, Nynaeve and, and Maureen. And we learn that the previous wisdom... Well, first we learned Nynaeve is an orphan and she was born outside of the two rivers and then got brought in. And we learned that the previous wisdom, which is Nynaeve's title now, had tried to go to the White Tower when she was 13 years old, had walked for months and she was denied because she was like too poor and too classless for the White Tower to accept her. And that became Nynaeve's grudge. Because one thing I think that we've we've kind of seen throughout these first three episodes is Nynaeve's loyalty to people and what she will do to protect those she considers her friends. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say the only thing that trumps that is her hatred for that's not pretty much. Yeah. Like, yeah, she, she, sure she loves her friends, but I think she hates Moraine more than she hates it. She hates the idea of it or the idea of where she came from comparatively. And it's just wild how she just backbones herself right there to Moraine. Everyone else is terrified. It's kind of like, I just hate you. This is the way it is. You Here's what you did wrong to someone else that I know, which means that you've now done that to everyone else. I'm typecasting you. This is the way it is. And it's wild because you don't see anyone else speak. Everyone else is terrified. right? So. Yeah. And then, of course, Moraine adds insult to injury by saying, like, how long have you had that braid? A year? And Nynaeve is like, five, motherfucker. And Moraine is like, oh, okay, so you're not like 21, you're you're 25 which or you're 26. We're trying to figure out her age, right? Like that's all it is. So, well, she says it at the hop, you're only this age, and then yeah. So the yeah. game is afoot in that. <laughs> and then you know, Nynaeve, I love how she like ends that sequence, and it's just like, enjoy your walk. <laughs> and then we go back to the boys drinking at the table. So we know at this point that Matt already has the lanterns. And then Perrin pushes three marks across to him and says, buy some lanterns. And Matt's like, no, no, we'll figure it out. And Perrin's like, do this. Matt doesn't tell him that he's already got the lanterns. He just takes the money. <laughs> and, uh, so Matt takes the money. They have like an awkward conversation about like the girls. Like Perrin doesn't want to talk about Layla. Rand doesn't want to talk about Egwene. And Matt doesn't want to talk about his sisters. So all three of them are just like, welp. That'll do for the day. Rand's going to go back up and hang out with his sheep. Um, so he kind of heads out. And then we move away from that table in that conversation. And we go to Egwene and Nynaeve on the bridge. And they're listening to the wind. We can serve us together. And they talk about how the wind, it, like Nynaeve says she hasn't, there's like an evilness. Like she hasn't felt it feel like this before. From there, we go immediately to Lan, who walks and sees dead sheep. And they're kind of in that, you know, kind yeah, of fang shape. Always, yeah, 
that we that we saw from the trailer, like that little everything's in that chase scene. Yes. So that's you know what we had seen kind of throughout the day before we get to the festivities at night. So, any kind of thoughts on on what these folks are doing and uh, impressions that we haven't touched on? Nothing. No, it's just normal day agony in life, if you will. Like, um, I think that so far, Matt has the deepest roots for me because you just taking the three shillings. Is, I, I noticed, of course, he gets landed and he gets three shillings. It's kind of like, oh, what the heck? But you know that he's not spending it on himself. At the same time, he's a degenerate gambler. And uh, I mean, uh, touching just a little bit before that, the guy that's running the wagon is not to be trusted immediately. They're right in, right? Like, just amazing. And then, um, Saran, it's, it's really interesting. Like, he's very much a runaway from his problems and all of them. He's a big old baby when it comes to his problems and wants to just, I'm just going to go away. I'm just going to go to this. I'm not going to deal yeah, with this. Yeah, he wants to be alone. Yeah, and then previously in the, in the scene when Perrin had come up and said, like, you know, give it time or anything like that. Everyone's always coddling him and babying him, if you will. And, like, Perrin is definitely the big brother of the whole group right off the hop. He's a big old empath, right? Like, you can see that he's very percept- perceptive and he checks in with Matt. He checks in yeah. with Rand and like knows what's going on while staying very silent himself mm-hmm. and never letting anyone know. And no one asks him either. It seems like he's got his life figured out. Yep. He's the mature one. He's a married man, as Matt That's says. Right? <laughs> Just getting married. I really love the next scene because we see Rand and Tam at home. Um, we see them hanging the lantern, you know, for Rand's mom. And Tam starts talking about a wheel and starts talking about souls being reborn. You know, Rand asks him, how long does it take for a soul to be reborn? And there's no way to know. And he just says, um, you know, the wheel keeps spinning. Uh, We try again and we do a little better than the last time is something that Tam said. And I just like, ooh, (laughs) it hit right in the good place. And then, you know, from Tam's words, we go down to the village and we see everyone kind of like lighting these lanterns. So everyone is, has kind of felt a loss. Uh, the one that stood out to me, and, and I'll obviously ask you this question as well, but was Nynaeve be, like alone and very like, she lets her lantern go and, you know, she's crying, but she, no one is around her. And that's like her personal moment that she takes for herself. Um, so of the, of the lanterns and the lighting that we saw, was there... Anything that kind of, you know, resonated with you or was it just taking in the grief as a whole? I, I, I think the obvious one for me was that Rand and his dad didn't go to the same place everyone else went. So, like, it kind of has that Viking funeral feel to it mentality, which is everyone else is pushing these out on the water, right? And then usually there's a signification of that, that they're going to the afterlife or pushing to the afterlife through the water. And then they just simply hung one in their house. So why wasn't anybody else kind of doing like the at-home ceremony, which was really interesting to me. I understand they had a job to go do up there, if you will, and everything like that. But that that significance is simply just purchasing a lantern and lighting it. It doesn't matter where it is. And that's really different because 90% of these things, 99% of the ones I've ever seen in shows, it's like everyone goes to the same place together. Everyone floats them out together. Everyone does that stuff together, right? So I think that that was really different. I mean, obviously what you touched on too, how everyone had it differently and did it differently like Max was almost more like with his sisters is more like have fun with this you know like oh it's a cool little thing you know we need to push these out right we're all lighting candles here so it was everyone had a different feeling for it 
And then, you know, from the from the sadness of the memorial lighting, we flip to the festivities and everyone's dancing. And, you know, Gwen's dancing with this guy Tom and like tra-la-la. And all of a sudden, Tom gets shit through his chest. That was an intense start. And then here we go. And here, and then it's just, you know, basically bloodbath. And we skip him back and forth to a few places and I'll touch on those things. We see the peddler guy at one point, like everyone's like running around getting murdered. He like puts down his drink and says, I'm a go. And he just trots off. Yeah. Yeah, A little darkness to him. Yeah. Like I've seen this one. I know this movie. Yeah. And so he scampers away. Um, And then we just, I've like in, in winter night, it felt like we kind of got a Gwen's perspective. Right, like she, she was just traumatized at what's going on. She's seeing all of these people die. Her, like a Nynaeve grabs her, Nynaeve protects her, you know, and is trying to to help heal people. And that's kind of like what they're running around trying to do. Matt's parent, like Matt runs into his house and he's like, where are the girls? And his parents are like, don't know, don't know what to tell you. Uh, and Matt then has to go running out into the night to find them. Perrin and Layla go to the forge. They barricade it. We see Trollocs eating people. We see, yeah, Nynaeve and Egwene try to heal people, but like they're super dead. And then we have Rand and Tam who are up having some charcuterie. And all of a sudden a Trolloc bursts in there too. And Rand, like Tam pulls out a sword from nowhere. Yeah. Like, did you like, did you like the hone in? Because we talked about the herons like on the. Yeah, there's a big notice of that sword. It was obviously very, very specifically (laughs) for that reason. It's sorry. Is there more you wanted to no, add? No, yeah. No. So the first thing that really was weird about this to me is that there's no soldiers. And I mean, you think about like any kind of old medieval movie and stuff like that. Sure, there's like oh, there's the farming community, poor farming community. But there's always like five soldiers that are hanging around, right? They always ring a bell. They go to the church. They ring a bell. They go somewhere. They always have a barricade thing in place. And even when this scene ends, no one's like, oh, we need to round up and go to this or talk to this person. There is no king. There is no army that's going to come save them. It's like. Oh, Trolloc screwed us up. Trolloc screwed us up. That sucks. Let's rebuild, right? Like, it's wild how there's no fight. And that was the thing that shocked me most about this scene. I understand that it was supposed to showcase, like, a major ass kicking by them and how strong these guys are. But there was no one that really, other than two main people. But I will say that, like, Perrin and his wife, like, they did pretty good in the fight, obviously. Very good in the fight. But other than that, there was just no one else that was fighting like in the general pop of non-named characters, right? There was no army that came out. I thought that was really weird. So it maybe just showcases how, and I mean, further on we find out how absolutely random this is. This is not a common thing, but also that they also never get raided by anyone else. So the world is in balance comparative, but the only, or sorry, balance of normal, of normal day-to-day life, but absolute unbalance of the power of this darkness, I guess. Which is, yeah, which is weird. So speaking of Perrin and Layla and like their ass kicking, Perrin grabs an axe, Layla grabs a hammer. And that those are like how they're beating the Trollocs down. They're like, you know, getting people out. When Perrin at one point grabs, well, you, know, you know what? We'll wait to get to that point because before, like we just see Perrin with the axe, Layla with the hammer taking on Trollocs. Then we get to Matt and he finds his sisters. Mm-hmm. And he's like, let's go hide in a fucking tree. Let's get out of here. And that's all we see of them from the night, which is great. We hope the girls are safe. And then uh, Layla is held up against a wall. She's like stabbing the Trolloc. Moraine starts channeling. 
like crazy. So she like burst. Once again, where that confusion really comes into play. It's like, I won't harm anyone. It's like, just that. Fireballs. Fireballs. And then one of the wildest moments we see is when Nynaeve gets her braid tugged and she is just hoofed out of there. Like, I, I think I missed that the first time through. And I had to, like, go back and be like, wait, where where's Nynaeve? I was expecting a big fight scene from her. The way that she guards Egwene, I was like, oh, okay. And the way, like, she had like a belt. Like, yells at a trough. Well, when she had that belt knife right off the hop, I was like, okay, she can fight. And then all of a sudden, so that's what I was kind of, it's funny, that's what I was waiting for the most. And then all of a sudden, yeah, just gone. And I was like, did they come for her? Was there a specific reasoning behind this? Like, why is she just gone during the fight scene? Just so, yeah. Yeah, um, and that's that's the last we see of her in the episode. It's just like her, her getting dragged away with her braid and then Egwene standing there like shocked and traumatized because her mentor and very, one of her best very friends. Victim. Very, very like victim, not strong, right? Yeah. Yeah. What in the fuck? Um, we also know that Ram's arrows are absolutely useless. <laughs> Poor baby. So, yeah, we see Maureen, like, she's starting to call lightning now at this point. She's taking down Trollocs. She's she's, she's doing her stuff. And, then of course, like, Land's just working around her. The two of them are, like, a That's beautiful a cool, team. That's such a, well, CGI choreographed fight scene, right? Like, just one side to the other side. One's never looking behind their back because they know the other one always has it, which is, you see in a lot of films, but it's, it's really, really well done. Yeah. His role is not to win the fight. His role is to protect her, and her role is to win the fight, which is so cool. And then Perrin and Layla in the forge. Again, we see Perrin fucking lose it. He takes a Trolloc down and he keeps swinging. And we know that Trolloc is dead. We know it's super fucking dead. But we keep watching the blood splatter on his face. And then he turns around. Layla has hammer behind head. And has her sides consequently opened and his axe goes right into the stomach that he had previously been holding the night before. So there is a trope that I am not fond of. It is called fridging. This is when a woman character is around solely for the purpose of being killed to further a man's plot line. Is there a male version of that? Um, it's not as heavily based in misogyny. But, like, I mean, of course you're going to have, like, the orphan story, right? Like, let's be clear, Peter Parker's origin story as Spider-Man with his Uncle Ben dying. It's not fridging in the same way because it's not, like... I was pretty fridged when I see Uncle Ben die. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's... I think it's, I, yeah, it's, I see where you're coming from from it, and I'm not disagreeing. I think a big thing for me, and it's like, it's not showcasing, it, 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 I think what I get out of it, and I could be totally wrong, my thing is, it's showcasing how good his life was, which sucks that it built such a great character. It's like, for example, in Game of Thrones, Sean Bean, absolutely unreal character. With him not dying, though, you do not get to see stark women or the stark men grow to what they are right so it sucks when they do that but i don't think that i would have the connection like if you know parent were married to someone a uh, guy or girl that was you know maybe not a strong will maybe annoying or anything like that you don't feel bad for this guy especially as like the next episodes roll on so 
I see where you're coming from, but I think it was so well done. It just sucks because she was the only other one fighting in the whole scene. Other two. Like the reason for this is, uh, so this is a minor book spoiler. Um, Perrin doesn't have a wife in the books. Oh, Jesus. I was like, oh. So this woman oh. was literally invented. For this. Oh. For this. Idea. So that's why, that's why it is oh, fridging. Oh, but I mean like, yeah, maybe it's easier in a, in like in a book to, like, the big thing, so leading up to this, you just see how content he is. This, he's the most content person in the whole show. Literally everything is just like up to Rand. Hey man, don't worry. She's going to talk to you. Here, Matt, take some money. You know, everything he does is selfless because he really feels like back home is perfect, right? So it, it sucks that you have to kill somebody off, but I don't know another way that you can get that. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be able to get that without, you know, like, why is his life so perfect? He's got to showcase, like, an amazing at-home life and how happy he is, right? Yeah, even though she's not over... Like, there, there's a lot there, and I... So... Part of why it's frustrating, like, seeing this is because, you know, Perrin, in, when we see him in the first, you know, 10 chapters of Eye of the World, he is an apprentice blacksmith. So why couldn't it have been the master blacksmith who he had a great relationship with mm. who was killed? Why couldn't it have been his because younger maybe, brother? Why did a wife have to be invented just to die well, for him? Totally, yeah. And not like I disagree with you, but I yeah. think because... Well, actually, no, I put a hole in my own star. I was going to say because then he'd have a love interest in the other two. And the two lead women. But Matt doesn't. <laughs> so there's that. That's the hole is blown. Yeah, no, I I didn't think about it like that. I just thought it just built. It could have been. It could have been a father. It could have been anyone. Because, but I think that to truly be happy in life and just truly show someone in despair killing their blacksmith mentor doesn't really hold a big old candle to like love of your life. Right. So I think to really build off of that, it could have been a parent or someone like that, but I think the parent thing is already pretty heavily done. And it's nice to see one of these kids matured because you look at Matt doesn't have a shit together. Rand doesn't have a shit together. Gwen and I they have their shit more together, if you will. But he truly just had the package. He's got the ring on it. He's got it all right. Like this is, he's got a business he's leaving something they're leaving stuff that their life hasn't been figured out yet his life is what he wants wants it to be so so i heard about this spoiler two years ago (laughs) two years ago so i've been sitting with this and trying to um reconcile my feelings on on the fridging of perrin's wife uh and i will say i cried when layla got axed by perrin so I knew it was happening. I was, I read the script and I still felt things. And I think that was because even in like the short time that we saw Layla, like I really admired her strength and her character. And if you're going to fridge someone, at least Layla was a bit, a badass, right? At least she was like a strong, independent woman who was going through some trauma and going through some shit and trying to sort it out. Um, so in terms of, if they were going to take this approach because for people who haven't read the books and who need to get that immediate connection with Perrin and need to do it quickly, I can understand why they did it. I was less upset seeing it on the show than I thought I would be, but it happened. It sucks. Uh, so from there, Maureen gets stabbed and then she rips the fucking in down 
and takes out the rest of the trollic cord. Like, there's a lot. There's a lot. watching. There's a lot of other shrapnel laying around. Don't know if you had to rip the building down. Like other opportunities were about, but I guess rocks are pretty good. But that was weird. And I mean, like, it really builds off the showcase of when she first comes into the inn, right? Everyone's terrified of her. Even though she saved everybody, there's still people that are going to be like, that's that woman that ripped down my inn. <laughs> like, you know? Like, Where am I going to get a pint now? Yeah. Like, she just absolutely, yeah, sure, we were all getting killed by the trollocs, but at least we had the inn still. But now we have literally nothing. Everyone's dead and we don't have a community anymore. Right? So she, like, rips apart the inn. The night ends with Lan run. I, I love the moment of like ran, Lan running behind her and covering her as like the inn collapses around them and the shrapnel's like flying every which way. Um, and then we wake up to the next morning with Rand pulling Tam in on Bella and him kind of seeing, you know, they got attacked by one Trolloc up at the farm that him and Tam barely managed to fend off with Tam getting like stabbed by the Thrakandar blade. Right, yes, that's right. The Thrakandar. Yeah. <laughs> but comes into the village and he, like you can, I really loved Yosha Stradowski, like just his expression as he takes it all in, right? Like there's smoke. He looks around. He looks for Egwene. Egwene sees him, runs over, immediate relief. They're both alive. He really quit caring about his dad, really. <laughs> Like, if I'm, like, I'm sorry, but I did not, like, that's one of the few things I didn't like. I hated how slowly he rolled into town, for one. And, I mean, your dad's dying, right? Like, I don't know if he is or he's poisoned, whatever. At this point in time, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, he's poisoned, they say, or whatever. But it's like, my dad's dying. I'm probably not taking the slowest donkey I have into town. And then, like, being like, oh, man, where's my squeeze? Like, where's my love interest right now? It's like, probably going to get him somewhere to get him fixed up quickly right it's like oh boy that's that tower's burned down that sucks hey like looking around really slowly like hop to it buddy like deal with everything else down the road yeah i mean he does ask like where's Nynaeve like because she's the healer and then Egwene's... he does not have a panic to him at all no. like no panic like just the stroll yeah um and then matt we see matt and his sisters so we see them and they're safe and then we see uh, his mom, Natty Coffin, like, my girl, she gets all excited. His dad is just kind of in the background, like, well, guess those fuckers are still alive. Uh, I'm not, not going to say your old thank you. That's exactly what I got from the dad. It's like, yeah, okay, you did it, but I'm not saying thank you. Yeah, No one asked you to do this. Yeah, like, so little caring. And, like, for the girls, like, last, like the night before, why wasn't Natty crying then? She just said they weren't there. And like, why Why is it always on Matt? Like, what is, why do they hate these little girls so much? And then we see Perrin walk in carrying Layla. So, you know, did they spend, did he just spend the rest of the night sobbing or with her? Like, completely, sh like. And of course, everyone thinks that she was killed by the Trolloc, right? So yeah. It's, yeah, that's a well done, well done secretive scene. Very well done. Hot off. And then Maureen walks over and heals Tam. So, yay. No more uh, Trolloc poison, I think is what she calls it. Rand, not so grateful, <laughs> kind of snaps at her a little bit. And is like, what the fuck? You come, then the Trollocs come, and then, like, the world is burning, and, you know, Nynaeve's gone, my dad's, like, dying. What is your problem? And she's like, so fun fact, 
one of you might be the Messiah. But we got to get the fuck out of here. And they weren't after me. They were after you. That's <laughs> yeah. the real kicker here. You're welcome for saving your community. Sorry, but sorry for kind of saving, for messing it up and saving it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Ungr- it's just immaturity, right? And unawareness. That's all it is. He finally shows passion now that his dad is healed. Then Maureen's like, okay, so, you know, it's going to be one of the four of you. There was a prophecy like 20 years ago. There was a woman who like her eyes were so white she couldn't see shit, but she could see shit. And she like prophesied that this was going to happen. So all of you need to get on horses and go. And then all of them just get on horses and go. Absolutely the <laughs> only one that like questions it, right? But I mean, yeah, like a, call it a wizard. Call it whatever you want. You know, like an Aes Sedai obviously would go, but like. That person says that you're the prophet and they just did all that. I'm probably not going to be like, prove it. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. like, like if I'm around, well, I, I know a thing or two about prophecies as a former sheep farmer, right? Like, not really like anything else to go, go off. But yeah, no. And then I like right then where it's everyone, it's just it's how it is, right? Like the showcase of power in, in good shows where it's like. Power scares people, and people blame things that aren't the same. That's all it is. It's if you're different, it's you're to blame first. Someone new in town is always going to be looked at for every crime compared to somebody in town. Did you find any awkwardness though? To like, she says we got to go, and then the next scene is just all of them listening. Like we don't get goodbyes, we don't get anything. We just get all of them moving. Or did that feel like? Did it make no, sense to you it, in the it, moment? It, it, yeah, like her description was weird, and I would ask some questions myself because I'm inquisitive. But you also have to keep in mind that these, like you said, these they just got decimated, and she's the only reason they're all alive, other than Rand. <laughs> yeah, literally. I mean, you can say that like Perrin's alive, but he, he fought one. She killed whatever dozens. I think it was thirty. They said or something like that, right? So she killed all that. So at that point in time, you're not gonna be like, whoa, whoa hold the phone here. Like I can take care of myself. It's kind of like, Ride or die. And then when she says that, I do believe are coming and they're coming for you, not for the yeah. people. At that point in time, if it's my family and my wife and everything like that, it's peace. Yeah. I'm getting as far away from this place as humanly possible. And I'm going to go with you because you <laughs> seem to be kicking some ass. That kind of wraps up episode one as they all ride out of the village together. So impressions, um, overall perception of the first episode. How did it make you feel? Did you like it? Was there anything you really didn't like? CGI stuff, um, anything that kind of stood out to you, kind of ro- your rose of the episode and your thorn of the episode real quick. I'll do thorn quick. Some of the, um, like the running across water, um, some of the CGI was a little tough for me. And then like, I understand that the characters that they've chosen, these Trollocs are very difficult CGI, I would imagine. So the fight scene was very much like, um, I don't know if you remember the movie Gladiator. Where they, yeah. they fight and it's not, you, it's sped up. It's kind of like all blurred motion, if you will. And that was a lot of the fight scene for me. It was kind of like everything was going down, but you couldn't really see what was going down. And I understand it's nighttime, we get the lighting. So I think some of the CGI is a little bit tough on the Trollocs. I didn't know whether they were intimidating or scary. And one of them would be really scary and the other one would be like, you know, really intimidating. Or it just kind of looked like a big horse with a couple antlers and uh, or horns or whatever. But I mean... Let's never talking about that, and it's kind of the um, kind of like orcs. Some of them were more personable, and some of them there was nothing going on upstairs when they were developed for the game or um, Lord of the Rings. So that was kind of the tough thing. But I mean, it's like cue in mind that the cinematography, the big shots, like not a thorn. This is a but a tiny, tiny thing. If I because I had to say something, I said that right, and they do like in the next ones. I think they're better developed. 
um, already. Uh, the big thing for me was character development. You learned who you wanted to love and who you wanted to hate so early on in the show. And then they really identified the bond between uh, the Ice Die and the Ward so quickly. And I think that that's something that, like, you know, I was worried about that, which is really strange. So you think about some of the best shows that I've ever watched, and they're not sci-fi, but for love interests, like comedy, like you just think Jim and Pam should get together, but it takes 12 freaking thousand seasons, it feels like, right? I love that they just squash it right off the hop. And I mean, not to say it can't happen later on, but it's like, this isn't what this is about. We don't want you to focus on this couple and that they might be hooking up that, Ooh, there's some tension between the two of them. It's like business, piss off, leave that, shelve it. And I think that's really, really cool. Cause there's a really good chance. I was worried that that's how that would be focused on. Not so much them. So that was probably the coolest part of the um, and because this was a little bit of a special drop by Amazon in that we have three episodes, we're going to save Virgil's cordials to the end of like the third episode when we review that guy, because, you know, we kind of watch them all in one clump, but not on the weekly basis. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's going to wrap up, uh, this episode one kind of like review synopsis. We'll touch back on things that we saw in episode one as we go into two and three. Yeah, because yeah, be you're, exciting. yeah, I've seen that stuff. You, yeah, you've seen some shit. Um, More than yeah, so that's it. You can reach us on all major podcasting platforms, leave us a review, like, subscribe, and you can find us on Twitter, Feathery Mountain Podcast. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us, uh, you can email us questions, queries, concerns at Feathery Mountain Podcast at gmail.com. We're on Discord, Little Nook on the Wheel Read server, which is first time reader and never reader friendly and uh you can send your hate mail to uh trollic cgi at fridging.com <laughs> and uh hopefully we'll see you soon with uh our review of episode two thanks so much for listening guys bye see you later